You're listening to The No Name Photo Show, the podcast dedicated to lively conversations about the creativity, business, and technology of photography. I'm your host, Brian Matiash. Let's chat. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 45 of The No Name Photo Show. I'm actually particularly excited about this uh, episode for a few reasons. One, the topic itself is something that I'm, I'm just been talking about and thinking about for uh, a few years now, uh, but also the guest, my guest host, uh, who I have with me. So in in life, every now and then, if you're lucky, you get someone who kind of comes in your life and, uh, you know, whether it's intentionally or un- unintentionally, makes a very significant impact. And so for me, this was in 2012, 2013, my Nicole and I, we just closed on our house, our first house in Portland. We just bought it. We were literally closed that day. We were sitting on the sofa and I get a call from, oh no, it was an email from a, a, a buddy of mine who uh, worked at uh, Nick Software. His name is Josh Haftel, our guest. Josh basically tells me he thinks he has an opportunity for me at Google. Now that uh, this was shortly after uh, Google acquired Nick. And said that, yeah, you would have to relocate down. And so, uh, you know, because of that, I, uh, we, <laughs> we owned a house for six months, sold it, moved out to California. And I, I got to work, you know, Josh was, uh, was the person directly responsible for bringing me to Google, which for me at least opened up a lot of very unique opportunities working on, at that time, the Google Plus Photos team. Uh, Josh has since, um, you know, gone on to do a number of things uh, as well as uh, just being what I consider to be kind of a, a consummate photographer or a photographer's photographer. So, Josh, uh, first of all, thank you so much for for being here. Uh, you don't have, you can wave to me. We're not doing <laughs> we have video, but it's just audio. Um, but Josh, yeah, I'll, I'll use sign language then so that everybody can see. <laughs> exactly, it's going to be a very quiet conversation. But trust me, Josh will be saying a lot. Um, Josh, can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, hi, and, and thanks for the intro, Brian. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Josh, and I uh, have worked at a, a bunch of different photography companies. Um, Nick Software was one of them. It was a lot of fun, place that I, I got my start understanding what it was to try and help make photography software, and then worked uh, together with you, Brian, as you know, of course, on the Google Plus Photos team. Um, and then now I work at Adobe uh, on Lightroom. So it's been it's been a fun ride. Like I've been very lucky and uh, I don't know, just lucky, I guess, hashtag blessed to have uh, worked at all these really, really fun companies that have had some significant impacts into photography. But, and as you said, like, I love photography. Photography is my passion. It's my, my life's blood. It's the thing I think about before I go to sleep. It's the thing I think about when I wake up in the morning and I've been lucky to have an opportunity to be part of uh, digital photography, my entire professional career. And this is why you kind of made the point there. Uh, we just before we started recording, I was mentioning how a lot of times the people who are responsible for building whatever it is that they're building aren't necessarily of it. And it, it I want to make a point to everyone who out there who's listening, because Josh is a photographer, he's kind of like the he eats his own dog food. Meaning he and Josh obviously kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but like you have your own kind of you understand the needs of photographers and that is something that you kind of bring to the table with regards to how uh you 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 help steer lightroom correct 
I try to at least. Uh, I mean, in so far as photography is a very, very uh, wide and varied industry, there's so many different kinds of photographers out there, and I, I can't even uh, pretend to speak for every photographer out there. So obviously, like that's, I don't believe that. But at the same time, as you mentioned, I, I do eat my own dog food, and I swear to God, I we need to come up with a better term for that. I don't know. Maybe Kodak uh, really enjoys dog food. Um, and I'm sure that he does. I don't think it sounds that great. And I don't want to eat my own dog food. I'd rather like drink my own champagne, so to speak. So like, that's kind of what I'd rather say, but yes, um, I love, I, I've loved Lightroom. I've only worked on the, on the Lightroom team for three years, but I've loved it, uh, the entire time. It's been a thing. I remember having a chance to play with it, uh, way back in the day when I was actually helping to try to make a competitive piece of software called Capture NX that we designed and built with, uh, the help of Nikon. And, and Lightroom was a constant source of inspiration uh, for me at the time and, and something that I've been using for the 11 plus years that it's been out. And now uh, having an opportunity to, to, to work on it is something that's really exciting. And you know, like what I do try and bring, as you said, is I, I try and bring the, the photographer's perspective. Uh, I've been lucky to have, this is my 18th year as a product manager in the photography space. Uh, I've had a chance to meet and work with a number of really amazing photographers over the years that has uh, helped provide a lot of really interesting insight and context into what people need. And, and hopefully that's one of the things that I bring to the table, um, uh, that and uh, my um, love for ever-changing colored hair. <laughs> yeah, uh, just Google Josh or go on Facebook or something and see the the variety, the, the kind of myriad colors and patterns and like rainbows. That kind of came from um, Pukey, right? I mean, like we, it, it never had that. Like, but back in the day, the the one of the UXers for Google Plus Photos designed a T-shirt that was like a puking unicorn, a rainbow puking unicorn. And then I think either Nicole or you, I think it was Nicole, found online on Etsy a, a crocheted version of a rainbow puking unicorn. That when I left Google to go on my two-year photo photographic walkabout, I brought him with us. Uh, and took lots of photos of him in front of all types of places, uh, and basically over like two years evolved into him and became the equivalent of Pukey, the Pukey Unicorn. Uh, myself, his name officially was Pukey D Unicorn. He had a Google Plus page. Uh, he was kind of our the team's unofficial mascot. And yeah, I remember uh, this is the, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but yeah, there were uh, there was a limited supply of the kind of officially designed. Rainbow uh, Pukey D unicorn t-shirts and Vincent Moe um, unfortunately didn't get one. And he designed one in Microsoft Paint and print, which was brilliant. But so, so Josh, the, the topic here, because we can talk about Lightroom and you and I have talked about Lightroom and, you know, features and things, I you know, I'd love to see for, for a long time now. But what I'm very interested in is computational photography and you know how like we're the timing is actually really good because we're we're pretty much at the end of uh of 2018 and at the end of every year you know the they you take the kind of zeitgeist of that year and if you, you put a word cloud or like what the term the popular term of the year was in my opinion i would say for 2018 within the the, the silo of digital photography i would say computational photography would rank close to the top as far as the one of them the, the the topics uh you know the, the hot topics of the year is that something do you agree with that 
Sure. Um, it, it certainly has been. I mean, if we think about all the different uh, computational photography tools or uh, improvements that have come about, um, I mean, we've seen a lot of improvements from Google and Apple, Facebook, and and Adobe. Adobe. I mean, obviously, yeah. I I, I don't want to. I wanted to list ourselves last because okay. that's right. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or, or our horn or or horns. I don't know. Grammar is hard. Um, but yeah, like just trying to. There's a lot of stuff that's been coming out, and it's it's been a really interesting time. To, to be a photographer because uh, imagining all of the possibilities, potential opportunities that, that computational photography allows for us, it, it kind of feels in some ways like, I, I don't know like the right term for this, but it, it's basically like Moore's law, right? With like the every 18 months, there's a doubling in blank, right? Like usually it was transistors, but then we I've read other people say, oh, it's a doubling in technology, it's a doubling in something. Like it's just this idea that there's this constant march and, towards improvement and, and betterment thanks to technology. And thinking about that in, in the light of photography, you can imagine, well, for a while there, uh, the megapixel wars were growing, going bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there was the ISO wars, and they were going bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, we got like the 1 million ISO, 50 megapixel, you know. And, and we're reaching those ends of like, okay, well, I can see in the dark now, cool. And I can print like a a 15 foot long photo, cool, well, what's next? And so now you start to think about, well, what's the, the next avenue? And, and, and that's where computational photography to me is, is the thing that's going to help break through some of those barriers of, of constant growth. I mean, obviously, sure, we're gonna see companies continuously adding in better and better resolution. I mean, we see rumors all over the place about new 50 megapixel, 100 megapixel, bajillion megapixel, I don't know. There's a, that's a lot of megapixels. Um, and and I don't know if we need it or not, but sure, whatever, we need it. Um, but that's also not gonna make my life significantly better. So what is that thing that's gonna help us make our lives significantly better? And, and honestly, I think that that's the inclusion of these more intelligent tools that will enable us to have more capability, save time, like make our lives better as photographers. And as we were talking about earlier, that, that range of different needs that photographers have is so wide, it's so varied. There is so many needs that people have that, and computational photography can, can address them. And the cool thing about that is that it doesn't require the kind of investment that the hardware in, in increases and capabilities have required in the past, i.e., you don't have to go out there and make like a billion dollar chip fab. You know, how many people out there have the ability to go out there and make new sensors and develop and design new sensors? That's pretty small. It's a rarefied error. And the same thing with new lens technology and the same thing like new cameras. Like there's, there's not that many people that go out there to do it. But on the other side, the computational photography side, where you can leverage algorithms, you can leverage computational power, you can leverage these tools that we have access to ourselves it's not something that can only but be for the 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 few and the far betweens. It's like basically, if you have a cool idea, there's I've seen really interesting papers from all different places and angles and areas, and from both mathematicians to just everyday Joes and Janes who build stuff that have an idea, like, hey, I wanted to do this thing better, and and they came up with an algorithm to do it. And it's that to me is also really exciting and interesting. So then, just to backtrack in case we have people in the audience listeners who don't even know what computational photography is how would you define it then 
Yeah, I mean, good question. Um, I don't know if there's ever a perfect singular answer. So the, the closest that I would come up with is that computational photography um, is the uh, approach to solving one of the many different kinds of problems or needs that somebody might have in the photographic space using algorithms, computational capabilities, CPUs, GPUs, et cetera, to solve those problems. So basically, instead of solving it with hardware you're solving it with software exactly so let's give i'm going to give people you had an actual answer and and so i was right did i pass yeah i, I didn't know you actually had the definition you're like yep it, it, yes correct uh what's funny and we were talking about this uh just before we started recording so i did some re i was doing research about computational photography lo and behold there's actually a pc mag article written by my editor at uh, matavor which publishes digital photo pro um, his name is Terry Sullivan, and you were interviewed, and you actually define it in the article. Oh, Quote, quoting my guest, Josh Haftel, the way I see computational photography is that it gives us an opportunity to do two things. One of them is to try and shore up a lot of the physical limitations that exist within mobile cameras. So now we're obviously talking about mobile cameras. Um, and uh, I can't find the second part because it breaks up into second. But yeah, I don't think that it's it's only, I mean, certainly we've had a lot of uh, improvements as it relates to computational photography specifically for mobile photography but it doesn't it's not only it's not relegated to mobile photography in fact if we want to like be uh like precise about it so to speak uh, you can imagine computational photography has been around for quite some time um and we've been using computational photography like hdr processing is computational photography when you take multiple images and you merge them together to output a new image, you're basically taking software to solve a problem, and that problem in that case was a lack of dynamic range, and you're using software to overcome that limitation that's in the hardware. Same thing like panorama. When you stitch together a bunch of panoramas or a bunch of images into a panorama, you're utilizing computational photography or computational algorithms to overcome problems or needs in the photographic space, i.e. computational photography. So it, it's not only like a new thing and it's not only a mobile photography thing. It's, it's a pretty wide and varied kind of thing. And even so much more as like, you can imagine noise reduction algorithms that those are, or sharpening algorithms or interpolation algorithms. There's a lot of things that we've been doing over the years. However, I think the difference and, and the reason why you might include computational photography in the zeitgeist of 2018's photography um, year in review is because there's a lot of improvements that have happened at a more rapid pace than before especially for mobile photography where it's impacted more and more people. I mean, we, we talk about like the, the portrait mode uh, and the night view from Google recently. And uh, a lot of the stuff that Huawei has been doing on their phones, like there's been a lot of stuff that's been coming out specifically for mobile devices on utilizing and leveraging computational algorithms. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting year for sure. Absolutely. And you, so the portrait mode that that's one of the examples to just to, you know, kind of tie it together for listeners who want a concrete example that might be very, um, you know, relevant to them. This, you know, maybe there are listeners who don't shoot HDR or don't do uh, much with regards to, I don't know, pano stitching, but the portrait mode made it, you know, that made a, a huge splash, especially on, I think Google illustrated it best because at least with Apple, Apple has two different lenses. Um, so, you know, if whether or not they leverage that to create a more effective depth map. The iPhone XR now has one single lens. That's right. 
uses the same thing. So it's not everybody these days, it seems like is moving in the direction of using machine learning, computational photography to not even using hardware. It's, it's amazing. It is. And the results are staggering. Uh, talking about the, the, the night, what was it called? Night, I, I always get it wrong. I call it night vision. Sure. I mean, like, whatever. It's if they didn't call it that, they should have called it that. We can have a conversation with their marketing team. You know how we used to have a lot of arguments about like the the branding and naming. It, it's always fun to be like an armchair marketing uh, branding person and be like, well, you should have called it night vision. Yeah, auto awesome. Oh, night rider for that matter. I mean, it would have been better. So let's talk about the implications. So obviously, we're talking about computational photography and how it's kind of kumbaya for all of us, and uh, it, it is opening up a lot of opportunities taking you can see there are plenty of examples of computational photography ish stuff and why from the hardware approach probably not the best idea specifically i think of litro and light they're trying to kind of approach it from uh, the hardware side as opposed to just leveraging pure software so when we talk about photographers you have obviously when when for instance film film went to digital you had these traditionalist photographers who are like oh it's killing the soul of photography and i'm sure you you've thought about this but i i this is one of the questions i'm most excited about chatting with you and that is getting your take on what are your thoughts on the implications of bringing computational photography and ai like huawei is is doubling down on ai with their cameras we've talked about it in a previous episode where you're almost, in some cases, abdicating. Um, I guess you can call it creative control. I, I consider it technical control to software. And let, let me preface that. And I've said this publicly many times. I've said it in YouTube videos. I am the biggest fan of the auto button in Lightroom, the new auto button. Not, it is, in my opinion, one of the most effective tools not because it changes anything creatively for me, but it does things that I would be doing to that photo already to essentially just get it exposed uh, correctly. You know, from if it's a slightly underexposed, it adds the right amount of brightness, it decreases highlights a little bit maybe, it'll add a little bit of vibrance and saturation. And from there, it's time saved, I can start working on the creative aspects of it. So I'm okay with it. I'm uh, very excited about it. But what are your thoughts about, especially since, you know, you are, I, I said it, like I consider you kind of a fine art, uh, um, consummate photographer, kind of like Aravind, um, our, our mutual friend who works at Google. I consider you guys like, you're not the kind of person th that, in my opinion, who goes and will share a new photo every day on Instagram, like a, you know, a, an edited photo. The, I, I, I've always seen you as someone who takes the time to make sure that you get that that photo that's in your mind you execute you, you make sure it's executed properly and if it takes you a long time to get it it takes you a long time to get it that's probably why i don't have that many friends on instagram and so that's the thing but at the same time you know th that i would say is a more traditional Lots of questions, so let me uh, let me let me uh, parse them out and let's start off like where you you started off because I, I like that analogy and I've used that analogy in the past as well. When you look at technology, any kind of technology as it comes into an artistic kind of area and how it may or may not disrupt or affect 
And I think that photography is an interesting uh, case study in that photography is an interesting mixture of art and craft. You know, there's, and oftentimes what we've seen in the past is that craftspeople, to them, like the technology and the knowledge becomes one of these really super important aspects of it because that's the thing that's taken a lot of time to to hone, to improve, and and there is a lot of aspects of, of that craft that are uh, core to the ability to create or, or to um, present that vision, that, that end result. And so anytime, and we've seen this time and time again, it's not just digital, you can even go back further. Like, so go back way beyond that. Go back to, okay, well, at one point, in order to be a photographer, you had to know chemistry. You had to literally carry around with you like a whole like apothecary of just chemicals that you would have to like go into a dark thing. I mean, if you look up like uh, the photography at, in the Civil War and you saw like some of the, the mobile cameras back then, which were literally like a horse-drawn cart. And inside of that was the, the camera, so to speak. I mean, obviously the camera itself was smaller, but you go in there and then you have to like take your, your plates and cover them in chemicals and then take it immediately outside, expose them, take it back in again, develop it. I mean, in order to be a photographer, you know, and then who the heck does this guy, George Eastman, think that he is coming in and making photography so simple as all you have to do is put some film into a box and press a button? I mean, come on, right? And so like that was like one of the first major because one of the things that george eastman did was he brought in the ability to make it really really simple to take photos because he, he worked and spent time and he basically patented the concept of this cellulose film that has the emulsion inside of it that can be able to be used as a real as a role that you could take photos right so that idea that that's kind of like the primary thing that the george eastman brought out was that ability to create this role of photos that doesn't require you to be a chemist in order to take photos. And then you go from there and you say like, all right, well, in order to do that though, you still still need some technique. You still need to be able to focus. You still need to be able to expose. You still need other stuff. Well then fast forward a little bit more and then Leica comes out with their kind of rangefinder camera, makes focusing really easy. Fast forward a little bit more and I forget who it was. Was it Contax? I can't remember who it was that was originally brought out or Renault, I forget. Uh, my my uh, history, like what photography history class was a long, long time ago, but somebody at some point comes out with like an auto exposure meter, right? A light meter. And that makes suddenly like, you don't have to just be able to like guess what the lighting is going to be like and how, what kind of exposure to take. You like, and it got a little lever that says like, yep, you're exposed. And then you keep on going from there. And then you introduce like multi-segmented meters and uh, fuzzy meters. I remember when the Nikon F4 first came out and they talked about, they had like 2000 different zones that were automatically being measured that had some kind of fuzzy logic, AKA artificial intelligence inside of it that was able to say like, oh, if it's super bright on the bottom, maybe it's snow and you should expose it differently than if it was super bright on the top. And it, you know, being able to use all that kind of information to be able to come up with a better looking exposure and then autofocus comes into play and so on and so forth. And you can, you can see that each one of these different uh, disruptive technologies made one part of photography a lot easier, which meant that more and more people could, could take advantage of it. And also probably, and I wasn't uh, around for every single one of those disruptive uh, technology and innovations, but I'm imagining, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming here, and hopefully it's not making too much of an ass of myself, that the uh, at each one of those phases, there were definitely a lot of people with um, torches and pitchforks going out there and saying, hey, how dare you make this happen? It's going to make that many more people 
do this photography thing and they're not going to be useful at all at this and they're going to they're not going they're going to ruin photography and destroy all the things that make photography holy because now it's you know we're letting the hoi polloi and the they're all able to come in the unwashed masses are coming in and taking over photography so you know that's like one kind of way of looking at it where technology has even before computational photography disrupted and made things easier but but you move forward right you you keep on going now you see like well is it better on the whole or not did it make things like a better experience and so you look at now you've got uh mobile photography and one could ask the question is mobile photography actually making it better or not is instagram or facebook or social media the the idea that you have these photos that are super easy to capture super easy to share super easy to consume super easy to peruse and browse through is it is it like reducing the value of photography or is it increasing the value of photography and these are interesting philosophical debates that that we can have into the wee hours of the night over a nice bottle of scotch um as we were wont to do back in the day Indeed. Um, but you know the idea is simply like is that is that a, a good thing or is it a bad thing and it, it just it is a thing right and i don't know if we need to like apply a, a judgment onto it but i to me i think it's exciting because it means that we can now get into the aspect of focusing on in, in my mind at least in my super romantic optimized notion of what is photography photography is capturing the moment and sharing that moment with with our fellow human for the purposes of communication and engagement and what do we do now that we have instead of us worrying about maybe it's um my personal inabilities did i have the experience before that i could predict that in this exact lighting scenario that i'm going to need to set my camera in a certain way or I've interacted with this kind of subject matter in the past in such a way that I know that they're going, like if you look and talk to really amazing sports photographers, they know, okay, he's gonna turn to the left, he's gonna look to the right, and I'm gonna wait for him to turn to the left and look to the right, I'm gonna take his photo because it's gonna be perfect. If you've never been there before, you wouldn't know that. Okay, great, so that means that's one reason why a photographer who's done that a lot of times is gonna be better than another photographer. But if you have now the ability to say like, I want to capture these things and technology can help me, where is it is it is the craft or is the art in the the craft or is in the the, is it not like that's that's another one of those philosophical conversations and and questions and in my mind i love the idea of being able to take out all of these reasons why you can't capture that picture that you have in your mind that that aspect that you are perceiving or you know there's there's other aspects of it as well but i've been talking for a long time and i'm sure you have things that you want to add in I mean, it, everything you say is, um, I, you know, obviously you can see I'm sitting here nodding my head because the points you make are, are so um, just apt and, and, and it makes sense when you, when you think about it. One, I, in my mind, I'm thinking of like what a colonial version of like Twitter would be where like people want to rant and rage over, say, the, the invention of the patent of, of film, for example. But is there a point that is too far? with computational photography, where the software has almost supplanted the photographer. And I'm specifically talking about, you know, the, the photo has, a, a photo has, I've always, I've always thought this, it has three distinct, uh, I guess, pillars in its life cycle. There's the, the composition, there's the, 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 the post-processing, and then there is the sharing of it. And in all three ways, that is, those are the three times that the 
the photographer can apply their own unique stamp the way they maybe they compose uniquely maybe they stylize uniquely maybe they share in a unique way yeah is there a point where it can get too far in in any one of those ways like and i'm speaking to you not as 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 product manager josh but as photographer josh or maybe as product manager josh you know i'm i'm interested i'm i this is also one of those questions i i was very excited to ask you yeah um, so to, to answer that question is it's almost like asking like let's let's fast forward some amount of years in the future and I don't know how many years in the future I mean sure I, as you know Brian uh, I'm a big fan of sci-fi I, I really love Black Mirror and um, the Philip K Dick Electric Dreams that was on sure. Amazon and and a lot of these kind of forward thinking both uh, dystopians as well as utopias like I, I'm really a big fan of Star Trek I'm definitely a Trekkie like I love all of these things and just like casting my brain forward um, and thinking about like what would it look like 100 years 200 years 300 years or who knows i mean the acceleration of technology today maybe it's five years from now i I have no idea it's a good point but the idea simply being okay well where what are the kind of the pieces that come together and then where do we as artists get involved in these things and i and i feel like that the quick and easy answer is I don't believe that it'll ever go too far because it's our jobs as artists to evolve ahead of the technology or like leverage the technology to accomplish that goal. So if the goal is to connect with human beings and we're connecting with human beings using a single still photo today and a single still photo gets to the point where it's no longer meritable for communication, then we need to get better at doing moving pictures or 3D pictures or whatever the future may hold. And and that's our job as artists. Our job as artists is not, we've chosen photography as the medium that we prefer, but just like there aren't that many people that are painting with like their hand at the caves, let's go. Like the same idea, technology evolves. We should evolve with the technology. If, if you are, you know, like I was able to paint with my hand, like that's me, right? As a painter, I could basically do uh, like, I could do one hand print. Oop, that, that's done. Now it's a turkey. Woo-hoo, I did a good job. Um, that's basically my, uh, the extent of my ability to paint. And when um, technology has evolved past the point of my hand on a piece of paper being like acceptable as, as technology, maybe I just no longer should I be painting. But the idea is like, well, what is it that we're trying to do and how we're trying to accomplish it is ultimately, I believe, like our job is to communicate, like connect with human beings. That, that's what the medium is photography, but the goal I believe is connecting with other human beings. And and by the way, like the thing that that makes people super frustrated by talking about me talking with me sometimes is the the use of ridiculous logic that I like to employ. You, you could be communicating with your future self, right? Like this idea of like, oh yeah, sure. I don't take pictures for anybody else's consumption. Yeah, well, why did you take the picture? Is it you're just going to take the picture and never look at it again? No, you probably look at it again. But in this case, your your past self is communicating with your future self. So I think that there's even like some wiggle room to say like even if you're taking photos that will never be seen by another human being, they'll be seen with your future self. And like, what is the best way for you to communicate with your future self? And that's that's kind of your your mode of communication. But that aside, point being, as we were to imagine, like what what's the kind of like the end game, or why would photographs? Maybe the question is why would photography no longer be a viable art form or a viable communication form? Um, by as we see photography today, but I could imagine that that there are some aspects of photography that will that could potentially be subsumed, um, like documentational photography. So imagining like if your only job was to document a specific scene and it doesn't need to be done in a really, really super like there's no uh, creative component to it. It's it's purely for the purposes. Now, we can imagine 
again, referring back to Moore's law, technology and things moving forward eight, every 18 months, doubling or having in price or cost, doubling in capability, having in cost. We see that storage is happening with that perspective. We see also chips are becoming cheaper and cheaper. You can imagine a world in which there are sensors, cameras everywhere. Now, of course, there would need to be some kind of social political uh, change in terms of uh, privacy that would empower such a, a world. But you could also imagine it being really easy for us to like coat the entire world with capture devices. And at that point, we no longer need a mechanism to go out there and, you know, if it's only like training machine learning algorithms to find the things that are interesting to you, kind of like how you search through Gmail for your emails, same kind of idea. Oh, there's some content out there. I need to find it. Here's the search parameters. And then I can find that one content. And it just shows me that thing at that state at that place. And that's it. So there, there you go. Now you've, you've documented stuff. But is that like, does that replace the need for art? Well, maybe it replaces, in that case, the need for that one specific type of photography. I mean, obviously, that's just capturing what's available at that one position at that one time. There's no cre uh, creation happening inside of there insofar in as the person's not directing the scene, they're not directing the light, they're not directing a lot of the other elements, they're just basically capturing what's available right there. And then you can imagine that you would need, no longer have a potential need for that type of photography, maybe. But you could still imagine that like a need for photography in terms of creating specific content, whereas the photograph is still the medium. Or you could also go so go farther and say like one of the jobs of a photographer is as a curator. So mm -hmm. one of the things I think is interesting is to think about today, you know, when you when you saw before in film era, like with one sheet of film, you would be very, very, very cautious about when you would click that shutter. When you got to a roll of 36, and you could afford multiple rows of 36, well, then you were a little bit looser, but still, like, there's still a cost associated with every time you click. With digital, that cost is incredibly negligible because obviously there's some time and some effort and some energy into going through there, but still, you as a user, you as a photographer are going through and curating the world around you by pressing the shutter or moving along, you're, you're curating the world by selecting which frame that you want to present to other people. It kind of goes back to your, your pillar of selecting which shot and when to share it. But then you can imagine, well, somehow the algorithms could get to a point where they could pick, hey, we looked through your photos, we found these one photos that we think are going to be great. There's still that emotional context that's missing. And I'm not sure like how, if algorithms will get to a point where they can actually perceive the emotional context, or if it will even matter. Uh, they could say like, oh, well, people like pictures of cats. Every time you have a photo of a cat, we're going to share a photo of a cat. And that's all you really need to do because people are that simple. That's possible. I have no idea. But my feeling is that there is this aspect of a photographer as a curator in which they're going to go through and say like this person, the world that or the beauty that resonates with this particular individual or X, Y, and Z. And therefore, they're going to go out there and select those specific particular elements and choose them to share. And, and going one step further, one of the, the things that I personally believe that is the kind of the peak of art as a photographer is the photo book. It's not actually the single photo. It's actually a series of photos. And, and the photo book is one of them. Obviously, uh, a gallery is another example of, of this kind of series. And the juxtaposition of the different frames in that space is the actual art. Uh, I never actually. I don't think I've ever heard anyone express that before in that particular way in terms of the the art of a photo gallery 
or at least a component of the art of the photo gallery is in the way those photos are selected and, and displayed. That is actually exceptionally eloquent and, and really beautiful. Um, I, I always think of it, uh, you know, as a collection or a body of work, but and I never really thought about that. Um, so, so that that thank you for that, Josh, because I always enjoy kind of acquiring new ways of, of of seeing things. Going back though, from my, my perspective, where I, I don't. I have no issues with um, computational photography and answering the question of like, is it go? You know, is there a way to go too far? I agree with you a hundred percent. For me, like when we were growing up, we had like I had Speak and Spell. That was the little the, this this awful sounding like devilish device that uh, helps you. It's a, it was an electronic device that's supposed to help you uh, learn to spell English words and. You know, that was, uh, you know, before that, what was the precursor to that was like, you know, working with someone individually to, you know, with a textbook, you know, very kind of um, manual. Now, I think about uh, uh, new photographers because obviously people are born every day and they grow up and some of them invariably will develop an affinity for photography. And why not leverage tools why not have a camera and this is i wonder how long it'll take for camera manufacturers who are arguably some of the slowest uh companies to evolve uh to to start adopting uh whether it's computational photography or some sort of ai or some sort of heuristics that like if i'm a new photographer and i turn on support mode or i switch it to whatever mode it's on and i point the camera into the sun you know with the camera um, with mirrorless cameras, you've got data hitting the sensor, uh, and I see it say it, it detects that there's a person that I'm photographing, but the sun's right behind them off to the side. And the, why wouldn't I want the camera to say, hey, you might want to consider flipping around so that you know the sun's to your back, something to that effect. And that person will learn that lesson one way or the other. And you made the point that that digital photography, the cost of an individual exposure has become almost, we're, we're, we're racing to the almost where it's like, I don't want to say worthless, but it doesn't cost much of anything uh, once you have the camera to, to create a new photo. So why wouldn't I want to let my camera help me develop um, and get the shot, especially because what if I only have a minute to take a photo? If the if the option is I have one minute to take the photo I've I've I have one photo I can take because that person is leaving it's a celebrity or something do I take do I and a lesson has to be learned do I learn the lesson by messing up the photo by taking the photo improperly or do I learn the lesson by being assisted by the camera and getting the photo successfully and that is a a, a very critical question um, to ask and and to to think about especially in an industry like like we're in. Where we're kind of developing, or not we, you're, you know, you're working to develop uh, this software. I mean, I can, I can take my phone, I can go into Lightroom, Lightroom CC, which I absolutely love, by the way. Um, I can open up the camera and go to the long exposure mode and take long exposure photos um, that, and I've shared them that rival photos that I've taken with a, you know, either um, with or without a filter on my camera. That the effect, and that's computational photography, right? That's all done in software. So, uh, you know, do I think of myself any uh, of a le lesser photographer because of that? Absolutely not. Um, so, I don't know, Josh. I, I think we're in a really, we're living in, in really kind of futuristic Wild West kind of, you know, times, you know, Westworld times. Uh, and 
I, I hope that, you know, listeners out there, I hope a, a lot of them aren't, have been nodding as much as I have throughout this conversation because um, I don't like the term evolve or die, but at the same time, there is some kind of credence to that phrase, right? You know, at some point, certain technologies will either become prohibitively expensive or become such a niche that, you know, I'm talking about like film photography. I mean, there's still the the cost of film and developing is still as real today as it was when film was the kind of, I mean, factory inflation or factoring availability of the film. Um, but I don't know. I just think that I really hope that we don't experience the same kind of, uh, I don't know, pushback if there even was that when we merged, when we moved from film to digital. So I joined Nick Software in 2001. And I remember like that was, I would go to these trade shows. That was my job. I was kind of like, I was the trade show guy. I was out there teaching people what we were doing as a software and blah, blah, blah. And so I remember talking to a bunch of people and, and there was a number, there was a huge number of photographers that said like, there's no such thing as digital art photography. You, you'll never be able, like, no professional will ever use it. Um, it's just, it's crap, blah, blah, blah. And and obviously that's evolved and and it hasn't, completely killed film photography just in the same way that Spotify hasn't completely killed record sales, right? Like there's still some aspects of analog photography that people really enjoy. There's, there's some, I mean, even look at Leica, Leica like introduced a digital camera that doesn't have a screen on the back of it to avoid like that kind of, kind of trying to find that magical middle ground between analog photography and digital photography. We're not going to comment one way or the other on, on that camera. However, the idea though is like there's, these things are tools. They're, they're not necessarily like designed with any kind of ulterior motive. There's no like uh, agenda, um, at least not at Adobe, to, to like invalidate anybody's art or passion or career or anything like that. Like what, when I started thinking about, well, what are the opportunities that computational photography do? It's, it's similar to, to when I was, um, talking uh, with with your editor about uh, the computational photography, there's there's to me there's two things, right? One of them is solving problems that you have from a, a hardware limitation perspective. So one of those, like a great example of it, is uh, we were talked about before the portrait mode. You know, you just get right down into it. Portrait mode is something that you need to have in order to create that shallow depth of field, that out of focus background effect on a on a uh, mobile camera because the way that sensors, light, optics, physics works is that there's a relationship between the size of the sensor, the amount of out-of-focus uh, background you'd have, and the size of the lens. So if you want to have an out-of-focus background, you need a larger sensor, which requires a larger lens, and nobody's going to want to stick a digital SLR lens in their pocket attached to their camera. Uh, I hope that there's some hardware manufacturers out there listening to this right now. Please stop making really huge camera phone lens like things that nobody wants. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, point is like you, you, you want that effect, the shallow depth of field, the, the out of focus background, and you want to do it in a device that fits in your pocket physics, at least so far, unless we come up with a new lens technology that invalidates everything that I'm saying right now, which I say is possible. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a photographer for, for uh, sakes. Uh, but anyway, point is, like, if you want that, light's turning off for some reason. There we go. Uh, 
if you want that and you want the like the out of focus background with a small thing computational photography solves that problem by making it possible to have your cake and eat it too right so that's one kind of thing that it can do the other kind of thing that that computational photography can do and you you hinted at this also earlier which is like the the new auto that we have which is computational photography it's based off of machine learning which is just a fancy way of saying that we input lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of images into an algorithm it starts to pick up certain patterns oh if the image looks like this do that if the image looks like this do this other thing and it creates this really nice kind of uh, network of uh, ap applications to apply different kinds of uh, like i said different images different kinds of outputs so that gives you the opportunity as you were hinting at to not have to do something you would have done anyway. You know how to make the image look a certain way. You know how to correct the image. And like that, the auto machine learning based auto that we built in, uh, I think we released it last December, that was designed specifically to correct the problems of the image. It wasn't trying to do any kind of creative things. It was just trying to say like, let's get you to a nice starting point, nice neutral starting point. So that way, like, for some people, sure, they might not know, like, what should I do to this image to give it a nice neutral starting point? For them, they can hit the auto button. For other people that know how to do it, but they just don't have the time or the interest to do the same thing over and over again, let the let the software do it. Let me do the thing that's fun. I want machine learning and, and computational photography to help me get to the point of fun. Like, one of the things that I find that have the, is the least fun for me is organizing my photos. That is the least fun thing that I could ever imagine, ever. I don't want it to go through all of my photos and one, remind myself of how crappy I am on average. I don't like that. I don't like going through like, oh, missed that exposure, missed that composition, missed that, like the focus. I don't want that reminder. Like I, I like sticking my head in the sand and pretending that I'm a great photographer. So two, I also, it's like, it's boring as heck. I mean, there's so many photos that I take these days. And of course, I'm sure that somebody will send me hate mail saying, well, take fewer photos, idiot. Uh, but for that person, yes, you're right. But oh, well, I don't. Uh, and so I still take a lot of photos. Help me like not have to sort through all these photos and like help me like save myself some time so I can do the thing that I like to do. Like I love tweaking my photos. I love tuning my photos. I love playing with my photos. I love like finding that one photo where I was like, yes, the sun and the moon aligned. I got everything exposed properly. The composition is not horrible. The lighting is decent. Let me do something fun with this photo. Let me enjoy myself. And like the computational photography tools can help me like get to that point faster. So that to me is really exciting. Like the ability to do the things that I think are fun. You know, there's there's always going to be uh, individuals out there that say like, you know, uh, you have to, I don't know what the right kind of uh, saying is like, well, you, know, you, you got to uh, pay your dues or whatever. You, you can't get only the good. You got to get some of the bad. I, like I said, I, I'm, terrible with with sayings i make my own sayings up versus using other people's because i can't have a memory like swiss cheese but point is just let me do the fun things like that's what i want that's that's kind of one of my like motivators is i love photography i love post-processing and i there's some things that i hate doing i hate tagging photos i hate organizing photos i hate oh god just let the computer do what it does best which is the automated things that are just over and over again boring repetitive tasks like i'm not that person then that's the stuff that i i, I love uh building and, and designing so that we can get to the fun parts exactly right and the i guess the the closing point what what i the the, the reminder is that it's not like 
uh, this is forced upon us. You don't have to. So you don't like the organizational component of photography. I'm neurotic about it. So I still have that opportunity. I can go into Lightroom CC or Lightroom Classic. I, can, I, I, I actually created a video walking you through how you can create the exact same neurotic hierarchy that I have in Lightroom CC with folders and albums. If I didn't want to, I don't have to. So I have that. But then there's a serendipitous component. And this is something that I always, that from when we first at Google launched like Auto Awesome, which are these kind of like discovery moments, like like a, a collage or something. Except it, it wasn't that in Lightroom. It was the face detection stuff. Lightroom found photos that I completely forgot about because... You know, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. You take a, a, a bunch of photos. There's no way you can remember all those photos you took. And some of them, maybe you had intentions of editing so that you can share it, but life gets in the way. And this is where this kind of, where, where software and technology can aid in these serendipitous discoveries. And I don't know, why would anyone be opposed to that, uh, speaking in that context? So, so, so Josh, First of all, um, I, I want to thank you so, so much for this. This uh, To me, the, having these kinds of conversations, I can do this with you for hours, um, but I know that you're, you're busy and I don't want to take any more time uh, than I can. W with that, the, my per one personal question, insofar as much as uh, Adobe PR will allow you to answer, uh, so what's next for, for Lightroom? What's next for Lightroom? There's there's a lot of next for Lightroom. Um, yeah, there, there's. <laughs> now I have Roman's voice in my ear. No, I'm kidding. I, I was uh, about to say hello, Roman. No, it's fine. Uh, I, I think that I, I must be Roman's biggest nightmare since I, I just I, I don't listen very well. Um, but ultimately, I think that the, the future for Lightroom for just the Adobe Photography products because there's also Adobe Camera Raw and there's Lightroom CC and Lightroom Classic and there's like a lot of different variations and versions of, uh, of photography tools that, that we build. And so it's more of the same, right? It's more continuation of what we've already been doing. We have, as we mentioned earlier, a huge wide range of different kinds of photographers. So we've got professionals and we've got uh, amateurs and we've got um like people who are just snapshotters and like the there's all these different terms and whatever you want to call it but there's just a wide range of people that have different needs and different interests and and our, our we believe that our job is to basically focus on anybody who's passionate about photography like we're never going to compete with like the the free products of the world out there that are just building these tools that are designed to be really simple to use. And that's not where our, our kind of core competency is. Our core competency is to empower people to accomplish their creative vision. Um, and so like, that's where we're going to be focusing on it. We, we constantly get people saying, oh yeah, you built Lightroom CC, therefore you're going to kill Lightroom Classic. Like, no, we're not. Oh, you care only about like the mobile photography. You don't care about uh, digital SLR folks anymore. I'm like, no, we're not. Like, we, we what are you talking about? <laughs> we, we really care about everybody. We care about these photographers. We care about people who want to take photos to a, that are higher level and to, to have control over them. So, you know, in terms of what are we doing next, it's going to be focusing on what are the needs of those different groups of individuals. And so that could be anything from how do we uh, in, 
continue to focus on speed and performance, which is a, a core focus that we have, especially with Lightroom Classic. We, we hear our photographers and, and people and customers using the product all the time asking for, hey, we, we, we've never uh, complained about the product being too fast, so what can you do to make it even faster? I'm like, great. We're going to keep on focusing on that, focusing on workflow, making sure that it's easier and easier to get your job done. But there's also a lot of technology, a lot of like opportunities and capabilities that we can have to continue to bring innovation into editing photos and organizing photos and telling stories. And we've got a lot of really cool ideas for that. Like, what can we do to make it better? And what are there? There are, we believe, missing opportunities that we have uh, to, to, to solve for. There are tools that we haven't built yet that people have asked for, that people need, that that uh, for different kinds of uh, photography that that we're not done yet. Like. We don't look at Lightroom or CC or Lightroom Classic and be like, yep, it's done. Yep, put a bow on it. We are, we are actively devising new technologies to solve problems. And it's it's an exciting place to be. Like the reason, one of the one of the reasons I took this job is because there's so many things that we can do. And I am not the kind of person that just likes to sit on my hands and do nothing and be content with just like polishing. Like, no, I, I love I love like solving hard problems. And I think that we've got lots of hard problems in front of us that are, are fun to do. So, you know, as, as, as you can intuit, like I can't say any one specific thing that we're going to be working on next. What I can say is we're going to continue to do what we've already been doing. And if you look at 2018, we had a number of significant launches in this past year. We released a lot of functionality. And so for our, our like the, the Adobe Max blog post, we kind of like listed out some of those major things that happened in 2018. Um, so they, because I think it's it's easy to forget about all the stuff that has been released over the course of the year, but there's been a lot. And we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to focus on improving technology. It's not just going to be centered on mobile or desktop. It's not going to be centered only on Lightroom CC versus Lightroom Classic. We have a huge number of engineers, uh, both on the research side as well as on the product uh, development side, working on Adobe Camera Raw, Lightroom Classic, Lightroom CC Desktop for Mac and Windows, Lightroom iOS, Lightroom Android, Chrome OS, Lightroom.adobe.com on the web, the, the backend server side. Like We've got a number of different teams that are each one of them working towards their, their end goals, and, and there's a lot of stuff happening. I think Roman would be very impressed with that answer. For me, I see, uh, I, I highlighted this specific, of all the things that, that were was announced at Adobe Max within uh, the silo of Lightroom, I, I created a video specifically on the fact that you built in this ability to ed, edit the depth map of a photo uh, with uh, the, the range masking. Um, and I, I said, this is why I'm, I'm so bullish on Adobe, is because... You don't shy away from, I, I think I, I see you guys as seeing where the puck is going as opposed to where the puck currently is. Uh, depth, I think depth masks are, are one of those things that is going to, as we get better and better at creating these depth masks, being able to control the qualities, the creative, you know, the, the, the visual qualities of that depth mask is going to open up all these opportunities. I don't think anyone really cares about the Lytro, the way Lytro approached, like being able to change the point of focus in such a drastic way, as opposed to like, hey, you know, like it's out of the background's out of focus, but I would like to add just a little bit more saturation just to that out of focus area. Well, guess what? You can do that. So, so Josh, um, again, uh, thank you so, so much for this, this lively conversation. Is there anywhere that you want to point people to? Should they want to learn more about you? 
the products speak for themselves, I think. You can go to adobe.com slash Lightroom. Uh, if you really want to learn more about me, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't really have that much information about me. You can Google me. <laughs> but I, I have my Instagram page, uh, which is where I put a lot of photos. I have the Cobbler's Children Have No Shoes kind of thing. I've got a really, really old um, web page. Uh, <laughs> my portfolio page is old, outdated, needs to be updated, um, doesn't even work well on a mobile device, which is just laughable. Um, yeah, so good times. Go, go, gadget portfolio page that needs to be updated. <laughs> well, you can always just create a share a, a gallery from Lightroom. Yeah, yeah, eventually, one of these days, I'll get around. Like the, I was having I was having this conversation uh, recently with one of my photography friends about, you know, like I, I I have been feeling recently a little bit kind of in that creative funk that we all go through from time to time but like what is it that i want to do next what kind of like artistic endeavors we want to have and i've had a couple of ideas but one of the things that i think that i need to do more than anything else is kind of is force myself to create a new portfolio page and by going through and creating a new portfolio page that will help me define and refocus myself onto those things that are important beautiful so i'm going to do that i think that's that's my next goal um I was originally planning on doing that over the Christmas break, um, but now um, my fiance and I were going to go to uh, do some mountain gorilla trekking in Rwanda, and then followed by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, so that's going to have me be like completely traveling without uh, any ability to focus on uh, the curation side of photography. Um, I mean, of course, I could. I'll probably be bringing my iPad Pro with me, but at the same time, like I know that uh, I do better at the curation when I'm uh, not beset by a thousand distractions uh, on all sides. I, I totally hear you. And actually, yeah, Nicole's, she's uh, about a week and a half into her three and a half week uh, trip in Southeast Asia. And she, all she brought was her iPad Pro solely with Lightroom CC. And she's going to report to you um, just the experiences. Cause that's, I, I, I didn't have the guts to do it when we went to Japan last year. Um, I still brought my laptop. I, I used Lightroom CC, but um, I'm very excited to hear her, her full report. Yeah. It's, it'd be interesting. I mean, we, we've had a, a bunch of photographers doing that, and um, I'd be curious to hear what her report is, and I'm looking forward to her returning. And Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Josh, thank you so much. Uh, everyone out there, you could. Uh, I'm going to have show notes at nonamephotoshow.com, so uh, I'll be linking to the Adobe Max article that Josh referenced as well as the PC Magazine article that uh, he was interviewed in along with uh, another fellow Google colleague, uh, Mark Lavoie, the esteemed Mark Lavoie. Um, so, uh, again, no name photoshow.com and, uh, Josh, thank you so, so much. Cool. Well, I got to run. I'm now eight minutes late for my next meeting. Thank you very much, Brian, like usual, making me late for my next meeting. That's how it goes. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Name Photo Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com and be sure to subscribe in whichever app you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a beat. Let's do this again next time. 